read a story about a problem that was happening at a museum despite the do not touch signs that were prominently displayed throughout the museum. The manager of the museum was having no success in keeping the patrons from touching and soiling the priceless pieces of art. This problem disappeared overnight when a clever employee changed the signs. He replaced the do not touch signs with signs that read, caution, wash hands after touching. Perspective plays a huge role in our daily lives. As followers of Jesus, it's important for us to make it our aim each day to see life, to see ourselves, to see others in our circumstances from God's perspective. God's perspective is always right. God's perspective is always best. God's perspective always calls us to faith. As the writer of Hebrews said, without faith it is impossible to please God because the one who draws near to him must believe he exists and rewards those who seek him. Following God by faith is best for us because God always has in mind what is best for us and those around us. We demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God. The good news is God blesses and rewards us as we follow him by faith. So open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to continue following God by faith this morning. We are listening to God speak to us by his Holy Spirit in us through Paul's words for us in Galatians. It's humbling and it's exciting to know that God is speaking to us right now. He is speaking to each one of us right now. And so he has much to say to us this morning. We have already shared how chapter 1 of Galatians ends with Paul ministering in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Chapter 2 begins with years later, it begins years later with Paul defending his apostolic authority against the accusations from the false teachers, and with Paul preparing to make a trip to Jerusalem to settle an important issue. He's getting ready to make a trip to settle this all-important issue that we're going to look at this morning. So Father God, we ask now, by your Spirit in us, through your Word before us, would you teach us, challenge us, encourage us, convict us, would you change us to be more like Jesus in these moments, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's look, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. As we shared last Sunday, we're looking at this first verse from four perspectives. These four perspectives help us to understand what uh, Paul is saying in this verse and the direction he's going to take us uh, throughout the rest of chapter 2. The first perspective is the time was 14 years. Paul ministered faithfully for 14 years, with the majority of this time being in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. God used Paul to spread the gospel in these regions. The second perspective is the trip was to Jerusalem. Paul previously went up to Jerusalem for 15 days to get to know Peter and James by having conversations with Peter and James. Paul went up again now to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, which included, once again, Peter and James. Jerusalem, 
as you know, was the birthplace of the church, and it was the ministry headquarters for the church. So Paul says, and after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. The third perspective is the team. The team is Barnabas and Paul and Titus. Paul, Barnabas, and Titus. These three guys made up an amazing ministry team together. Barnabas was a Jew who was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was an encourager. He was a good friend to Paul. Quite honestly, he was a good friend to everyone he came into contact with. He was just one of those folks who everybody enjoyed being around. Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile. He had received God's gift of salvation by God's grace through his faith in Christ Jesus. Titus was one of Paul's sons in the faith. Titus was a co-worker of Paul's. Paul had left Titus on the island of Crete and told Titus, I need you to stay on this island. I need you to help the churches there in Crete to be established, to grow, to minister to those around them. And Paul also encouraged Titus to make sure that he watched out for false teachers on the island of Crete as well. The fourth perspective is the truth. The truth was salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. The truth was salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Verse 2, I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. So real quick, before we take verse 2 apart, phrase by phrase, let me just remind you of a couple of things that we know. The false teachers had taught that Paul was not a genuine apostle of God. They said Paul's message and ministry was for man, not God. They tried to discredit Paul. They tried to undermine Paul so the believers in the churches in Southern Galatea would follow them, not Paul. These false teachers taught circumcision and obedience to the Old Testament law of Moses was necessary for salvation for the Gentiles. They taught a relationship with God was by faith in Jesus plus works. These false teachers or Judaizers wanted the Gentile converts to become like Jews in order to have a relationship with God. Remember, the Gentiles were non-Jews. Gentiles were made up of those who were non-Jews. They were people who were not from God's chosen nation of Israel. Now, as you remember, it was the continued disobedience of Israel. It was their failure to be the witness nation to the nations around them that God desired for them to be. It was their continued disobedience against God, which was part of what led God to send Jesus to earth to provide salvation for whosoever would believe in Jesus and receive Jesus by faith. The whosoever included Jews and Gentiles. The whosoever included Jews and Gentiles. Paul didn't want anything or anyone to get in the way of the Jews and Gentiles from entering a relationship with God. And so this is at play as we now focus in on the truth, which was salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Paul wrote in verse 2, I went up according to a revelation. We'll stop right there. Remember, once again, Paul is defending his apostolic authority. The false teacher said Paul was not an apostle of God. 
His message ministry was from man, not God. He here says, I went up according to a revelation. Once again, Paul said, God sent me to Jerusalem. God revealed his will to Paul by his Holy Spirit in Paul. Paul was saying this, I was an, I'm an apostle of God sent by God to Jerusalem. So he's defending himself already in verse 2. He continues and says, I went up according to Revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. Presented means to communicate. It means to declare. It means to set forth. So he's saying, God sent me to Jerusalem. And when I got to Jerusalem, I presented, I communicated, I declared, I set forth the gospel that I preach to the Gentiles, wherever it is that God sends me. It's the gospel that I received from God by a revelation of Jesus Christ, which Paul had already told us in chapter 1. Paul, therefore, did not question or doubt the gospel that he preached because it was God's gospel, not his. And so let's look at the gospel for a moment. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The gospel is simply the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. We were once dead in our sins and transgressions. We had turned away from God to go our own way. Our sin against God separated us from God, and there was nothing that we could do in and of ourselves to get rid of our sin and get to God on our own. We deserved God's righteous, divine justice, wrath, and punishment for sin. We were on a collision course with an eternity in hell. And there was absolutely nothing we could do about it. A collision course with an eternity in hell separated from God. But God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to earth to save us from our sins. Jesus perfectly fulfilled and obeyed the law. Jesus was tempted as we are tempted, but he never sinned. Jesus satisfied God's demand for a perfect and holy sacrifice to be made so that we who are imperfect and unholy could be made right with a perfect and holy God. Jesus came to earth. He took our place on the cross. He paid our price for sin with his blood, which he shed on the cross of Calvary. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. Jesus rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death for you and for me, thereby opening the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and to enter into a relationship with God. God counted our sin to Christ on the cross of Calvary, and God counts the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to us as we believe in Jesus and respond to God's grace by our faith in Jesus. We are forgiven by God. We are right with God. We are children of God by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. The gospel truly is good news. Amen? It's the greatest news ever shared. It's the greatest news ever heard. This is the gospel that he preached among the Gentiles. The good news of the gospel. That's still good news for us today. And he said, I went up according to Revelation and presented to them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles. But here he says, but privately to those recognized as leaders. So what happened was Paul, Barnabas, and Titus went up to Jerusalem and they met together 
in private with the leaders of the first church in Jerusalem, which included Peter, James, and John, which we'll see as we get to verse 9 in this passage. These were the recognized and respected leaders of the church. These leaders were saved, called, and equipped by God to lead God's church and to preach and teach God's gospel message. These leaders were going to get together in private and they were going to make a decision. They were going to make the decision about this issue of salvation once for all. And once they made this decision in their meeting privately together, they would make it public to the church and it would be followed by the church. The importance of this issue of salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, the importance of the truth that we're talking about, necessitated that these leaders get together in private and spend time praying and seeking God's will together, as well as spending time studying and discussing and reading the Word of God together. A public meeting in Jerusalem to decide this issue of salvation by grace or works would have attracted the false teachers and others which would have made a unified decision on this truth, this doctrine of salvation, difficult, if not impossible. And so he said, I went up and I met with him in private. And then he continues and he said, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. I wanted to be sure. He said, I was not running and had not been running in vain. Paul went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus, and he met with the leaders in the church, including Peter, James, and John, in private to present the gospel he preached to the Gentiles to them, not for approval and not for correction, but instead for affirmation. Paul said, I went up and I talked with these guys because I wanted to make sure we were all on the same page when it comes to the good news of the gospel. He said, I wanted to make sure that the gospel I believed in and preached was the gospel they believed in and preached. And this gospel in a nutshell was Jews and Gentiles come to God by faith in Jesus. You see, if the leaders in the church in Jerusalem didn't agree with Paul on this issue, if they would have sided with the false teachers, that salvation is by works, not by God's grace through faith. If the Jerusalem leaders there in that church would not have agreed with Paul, then the false teachers, the Judaizers, would have continued to grow in prominence and influence. The church would then have been divided into Jews that go to this church and Gentiles go to that church, which would have made unity in God's family, which God desires, impossible because they would be completely separate from one another. We also know if the Jerusalem leaders didn't agree with Paul, the church's message and ministry would have been undermined because at the core of the message and ministry of the church is the relationship that we have with one another in Christ Jesus. We're family. And it would have been undermined. So this was as important as any meeting had ever been within the church up to this point in time. 
This would set the course for ministry. This would set the course for missions. This was going to set the course for the Great Commission. Was it going to go forth or not? This meeting was huge. And Paul, I love it, here again uses athletic imagery. Paul loved to use athletic imagery in his writing. And he uses athletic imagery here to describe his desire to make sure that they were running in the same direction, in the same race, for the same prize, which was God's pleasure, God's glory, and God's praise. It's vitally important. You pick your sport. You pick your team sport. Success happens when the team is at least at the very core and the beginning going in the same direction, working for the same goal. If you've got a team that's going in different directions and not working for the same goal, that team doesn't have a chance. And Paul understood this from a spiritual perspective. So he said, I, I had to make sure. I had to find out. Are, are, are we on the same team here? Do we agree? Are we going in the same direction? Are we together on this? Is basically what is happening here in Jerusalem. Let's continue in verse 3. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Okay, so here, let's explain this. It's amazing how this all begins to come together. He said, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he's a Greek. These false teachers or Judaizers taught, they taught, that circumcision was necessary for Gentiles to receive salvation. It was necessary for Gentiles to enter a relationship with God. Circumcision was the physical sign of the covenant relationship that the Jews had with God, which dated back to Abraham in the Old Testament. Circumcision also separated Israel from the pagan nations around them. If you remember with me the story of David and Goliath, what did David say? David said of Goliath, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So we see from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis and Abraham and moving forward, we see circumcision was a big part of the Jews' national heritage and identity. Therefore, circumcision was very, very important and valued by the Jews. As we see in Acts with Pentecost and with the church exploding in Jerusalem, you know and we read in the scriptures that many of the initial members of the first church in Jerusalem were circumcised Jews who came to faith in Christ Jesus. And so this wasn't an issue for them. The issue as it relates to salvation, the issue as it relates to the spread of the gospel, the issue as it relates to the church, which carries implications for us today, started back when these Gentiles started coming to faith in Christ. When Paul started going to the Gentile nations and he started telling the Gentiles about Jesus and they came to faith in Christ, the issue quickly arose among the Jews and the issue is simply this. What role should circumcision play in regards to Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ Jesus? What should 
Pastor, this work. So Paul, again, remember, who was on his ministry team? Titus. Titus was the perfect member for this ministry team because you know what Paul did? Paul brought Titus with him as a kind of test case of sorts. Paul knew what he was doing. Holy Spirit was guiding Paul. Paul brought Titus along with him. So Paul, Barnabas, and Titus are meeting with these leaders. Now we're getting more of the background of what's going on. They're talking about salvation. They're talking about, is it by grace or works? Does it include circumcision or not? And Paul says, I present to you Titus. Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile who had received God's gift of salvation by God's grace alone through his faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Paul knew to require circumcision for Titus in order for him to have a relationship with God violated God's grace. It violated God's gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. And Paul in chapter 1 had already told us if anyone teaches a different false gospel other than God's gospel of grace in Christ Jesus, they should be under a curse. Well, Paul didn't want to be under the curse he proclaimed in chapter 1. You see, Paul knew, follow me now, Paul knew if Titus was compelled, says, but not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised. Paul knew if Titus was compelled, that means forced or persuaded, to be circumcised by the leaders in the church in Jerusalem for salvation, then Paul knew all Gentiles would be as well. He knew this would then mean that circumcision was necessary for all Gentiles. Paul also knew if the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, if the respected, recognized leaders of the church in Jerusalem loved Titus, welcomed Titus, and if they did not compel Titus, if they didn't force or persuade Titus to be circumcised for salvation, then certainly no Gentile outside of Jerusalem should ever be compelled, forced, or persuaded to be circumcised in order to have a relationship with God. He knew this was vitally important to what was happening there in Jerusalem. And he says at the end of verse 3, but not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. He said this, hey, salvation by God's grace through faith won the day. As I met with my brothers there, the leaders of the church, they understood. They realized it. They didn't compel him to be circumcised. They knew he was saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. He continues now in verse 4. This matter arose. So he's saying the reason why this is all happening. Now he's going to tell us why this was even happening. The matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. Paul here is saying the reason this happened was because some false brothers, false brothers means pretend or sham Christians. False brothers means pretend or sham Christians. The Judaizers were false teachers. They were false brothers. They were pretend or sham Christians. They were Jews who claimed to have a relationship with God, but they didn't. They taught a false, different gospel. They taught a relationship with God was by Grace through faith in Jesus plus circumcision plus obedience to the Old Testament law. We see Luke was writing about this meeting 
in Acts chapter 15. If you turn to your left, you want to look at Acts chapter 15. There's an extended description, and we'll get to this as we make our way through chapter 2. There's an extended description of what's going on here uh, in this meeting. And in Acts chapter 15, in verse 1, uh, even Luke wrote in the book of Acts, verse 1, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, that meaning in Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So these false teachers, these Judaizers, were going around in churches saying, unless the Gentiles are circumcised, you can't be saved. And so we see that these were false pretend sham Christians. I love what one Bible scholar said. He said, these false brothers may have professed Christ, but they didn't possess Christ. They didn't possess him. And so we see in verse Four, we continue, and he says, this matter arose because some false brothers, what did he say? Had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. I love this. Paul uses some military language here. He said, these false brothers infiltrated our ranks. That means they came in undercover. That means they snuck into the church. That means they were smuggled in. They were disguising themselves. And without a whole lot of fanfare, they just kind of snuck in the church. They snuck in among them in the church in Antioch. They snuck in among them in the Jerusalem council, this meeting that was the larger meeting that's getting ready to happen in the book of Acts after this private meeting happened. They snuck in. He said they infiltrated our ranks. And he tells us two reasons why they snuck in. The first reason, they came in to spy. Again, he uses military language. He said they came in to spy on. In the Greek, to spy on means this, to spy on. That's what it means. It means to look so as to learn. So what these false brothers did first was they snuck in the church, and they just started looking around. When the church in Antioch was meeting, they were just kind of sneaking in. They kind of sat in the back. They were just kind of watching and listening. They were spying on the church to see what was going on. They were spying on this freedom that the Gentiles had in Christ Jesus. Because they knew they hadn't been circumcised or they weren't being required to follow the Old Testament law. They were spying and watching the Gentile converts in particular. The freedom they had in Christ Jesus. They realized and saw that they were free from the bondage of salvation by works. Because as Jesus said, when the Son sets you free, what? We're free indeed. Yes, sir, we are. We're free indeed. So they came in to spy, but then he said the second reason these folks came in to enslave. They came in to enslave. These false brothers were undercover agents for Satan. They were Satan's spies, and they came in to spy on these believers, and they came in to enslave. Paul said they came in to enslave us. What does that mean? It means they came in to keep us and to hold us in bondage to circumcision, to obedience to the Old Testament law, to legalism, and to works for salvation. They wanted to keep the Jews and Gentiles bound in bondage to all these works that they supposedly had to do in order to have a relationship with God. As F.F. F. Bruce, a prominent Bible scholar, said, as the gospel of grace liberates, so legalism enslaves. Grace blesses, legalism burdens. Grace frees, legalism chains. 
The reason, folks, salvation by works doesn't work is because it's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. It doesn't work because it's not God's gospel of grace to us in Christ Jesus. And when you believe that you have to do a lot of good works in order to have a relationship with God, you're in bondage to your works. You're in bondage. Did I do enough good? Did I, what, oh, I did bad over here. How many good things do I have to do now to outweigh that bad thing? How many good things are reported? I can't ever do anything bad because I have to do all things good. It, they're constantly in bondage to works because it's a false gospel. And so what does Paul say in verse 5? Look what he says. But we did not give up and submit to these people even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. I love this. Paul said that we didn't even give up uh, and submit to these people for a moment. What is he saying? He's saying, we didn't give in to the demands of the Judaizers, not even for a second. We didn't give them an inch. We didn't yield it all to them. We didn't back down from these Judaizers and their demands for circumcision and obedience to Old Testament law to be added to salvation. He's saying this, we didn't go along to get along with these false brothers. Paul said, no, 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 we believed, we obeyed, we taught, and we defended salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, not by works. And he said the reason we did it was so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. He said, we did this, we stood our ground, and we fought for salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus, so the gospel, the message, the good news of the gospel would be preserved. That means it would remain pure, and it would be able to go forth to all Gentiles everywhere and to Jews everywhere. You see, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, and these leaders in the Jerusalem church knew that if circumcision, if obedience to the Old Testament law of Moses, or if any other work was added to the good news of God's message of grace, then it would cease to be God's message of grace in Christ Jesus. And you see, the Gentiles needed this assurance and the Jews needed this understanding. The Gentiles, these brothers and sisters who were coming to faith in Christ Jesus, they needed this assurance that, that we were welcomed into the family by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Y'all aren't going to make us do anything else. Y'all aren't going to make us become a Jew or try to become a Jew in order to, to have a relationship with God. You see, the Gentile believers needed this assurance, but the Jews, they needed this understanding so that they together could start rejecting the false teachers and their false teaching and when these false brothers started saying, you have to do this work or that work, you have to be circumcised, you have to obey the Old Testament law in order to have a relationship with God, they together, Jews and Gentiles alike, could collectively stand together and say, you're wrong. And we're not going to listen any longer. You see, this was monumental for the church at this time. But I'm telling you, it was monumental for the church at this time today as well. So what is our application today? What is our takeaway? Our application is real simple. We must live in unity as followers of Jesus Christ. We must live in unity as followers of Jesus Christ. Unity is a must for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, unity in God's family is a must for members of God's family. 
I love this. Follow me now. You just read it. We understand it. Paul, Barnabas, and Titus went to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders in the church of Jerusalem, which included Peter, James, and John, to make sure what? That they were in unity with one another. They did that to make sure they were in unity together. We have unity with one another in Christ Jesus. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ Jesus. We have unity together in Jesus Christ. Now, we see in this passage, I want to highlight three points of unity that we must share as brothers and sisters in Christ. They were points in unity that the Jews and Gentiles shared, and they're points of unity that we must share today. Number one, we must share unity in salvation. We must share unity in salvation. Salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Luke said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men, given to women, given to people by which we must be saved. Paul said, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, this is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Good works are a result of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. Jesus himself, the risen and exalted Savior said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, salvation, a relationship with God, is not by faith in Jesus plus works, plus baptism, plus being good, plus anything. It's by faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a result of the grace of God at work in our lives. Paul, Barnabas, Titus, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they believed, they obeyed, they defended this truth. We must believe, obey, and defend this truth today. Because I don't know if you've noticed, maybe you have, maybe not, I bet you have. I don't know if you've noticed, but God's word is under attack today. The truth of God's word is under attack. It is an all-out assault, assault from the pit of hell on the truth of God's word. And I'm telling you in particular is believe it or not this issue of salvation. It's the issue of salvation. <laughs> 2000 or more years have passed and same battles going on. Same battle. Oh no 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 no. Relationship oh yeah, everybody's going to get to heaven. No no. no. Who are you to say there's only one way? No, everybody. It's all going to work out in the end. You believe yours. They believe theirs. Everybody believes whatever they want to believe. It's all going to work out. Just make sure you do enough good. It'll be okay. That's not what the creator of the universe says. That's not what the Savior, God's Son, our Savior said. He said something different. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to God except through me. He is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You see, we must share unity and salvation because we must share this good news of the gospel. It's the greatest news ever shared. We've got to be unified together, just as these believers were. Couldn't have this unity in the body between Jews and Gentiles. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Now we got to get this right. Got to get it right. 
got to keep it right today. There's one way to God. It's through faith in Jesus. And by the way, that's the most loving thing you can say to anyone. The most loving thing you can say to anyone is there is one way to God, and that is through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a little bit more about it. Secondly, we must share unity in creation. Not just salvation, but in creation. Here's what we know. These leaders, Paul, Barnabas, Titus, Peter, James, John, the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, they understood more so than anyone else that salvation, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, salvation was open to everyone, Jews and Gentiles. They knew it was no longer us against them. They understood and realized this hatred that the Jews had for the Gentiles, this hatred that had been years and years in the making, that was deep-seated. They knew this hatred had to go, had to go. Because they understood and they defended and they fought and they taught for the understanding that Jews and Gentiles alike were created in God's image. They were alike saved by God's grace. They were alike filled with God's spirit and they were alike members of God's family. And they were gonna spend eternity with one another in glory forever. And so they needed to be united in salvation, but they needed to be united in creation. They needed to understand that we're no better than anybody else. That we all come to the cross in the same way, and we all need the same blood of Jesus to wash away our sin. It reminds me of the old children's song that says, uh, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. The unity of the Jews and Gentiles in Jesus was a witness for Jesus in Paul's day. And guess what? Our unity in Jesus is a witness for Jesus today. Our unity in Jesus is a witness for Jesus today. Hey, praise God we don't look alike. Amen? Praise God we don't sound alike. And you know what? We come from different cities different counties, different states, different nations, from different families, with different backgrounds. But hey, we are family in Christ Jesus. We're family. We've been saved by the blood of our Savior. And we desperately need to be running the same direction in the same race for the same prize. The pleasure, glory, and praise of our Father, Jesus Christ. Our Savior and Lord. We need to make sure that we share that unity in creation. Now, we share and display and show and express our unity in Jesus by the way we love one another like Jesus. So that's good stuff. That just means we need to love one another like Jesus because we're family in Jesus. But then the third area we should share unity is we must share unity and maturation. God's at work in each of us, growing us and maturing us in our faith in Christ Jesus. As we humbly submit ourselves to God each day, he empowers us by his Holy Spirit in us to live his way, to obey his word, and to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, we know and understand he's at work in each of us, and we need to be devoted to the truth of God's word. We need to be devoted to prayer. We need to be devoted to the fellowship as these believers were, because why? God uses each one of us in his work of growing all of us in the likeness of Jesus. I need you, you need me. We need one another. It's the way God's designed his family to work. And so we are called by God. We're saved by God. We're equipped by God. We must believe. We must obey. And we must defend the truth of God's word. We must be on guard. You and I, we must be on guard against those who would infiltrate our ranks to spy on us from inside the church and from outside the church to turn us away from God, to turn us away from the truth of God's word, and to turn us away from one another. We must keep our eyes on the Father. We must make sure that we got our arms around one another so that none of these undercover agents and spies from Satan are able to make their way in to our family to discourage us and to divide us. You know, the scriptures teach us, Paul said, hey, there's coming a time when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. Guess what? That time is here and now. It's here. It's now. People are turning away from sound doctrine. Why? Because they want to get their ears tickled. They want to feel good about themselves. So they're going to gather around themselves folks who will just tell them stuff to make them feel good that uh, is not found in the truth of the Word of God. And so we must understand this urgent call from Paul and this meeting in Jerusalem is still an urgent call today. Listen, let me remind you, the world is not a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Our experiences are not a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Our feelings are not a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Our hearts are not a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Other people are not a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. God's word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And praise God, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Praise God that his word never returns void, but it always accomplishes the plans and purposes God has set for it. Praise God, his word is encouraging to us. Praise God, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training us in righteousness. So every man, woman, boy, and girl will be equipped, complete, mature, and ready to do all that God's called us to do. You see, unity in Jesus blesses each one of us and all of us. Unity in Jesus grows each one of us and all of us. Unity in Jesus protects each one of us and all of us. And we develop our unity in Jesus. Why? How? By just simply doing what Paul did. We develop our unity in Jesus as we have conversations with one another. And as we speak God's truth in love to because we know everything that was written before in the past was written for our instruction so that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our healing is in Jesus. Our help is in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. I want to encourage you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of invitation. Let's respond to the Father this morning a couple ways. If you've never received God's gift of grace, this gospel of grace that we have been talking about that was defended years and years ago so that quite honestly, you could have, a have an opportunity to respond to it today. If you've not received this gospel of grace, then why not today, why not right here, why not right now? Cry out to the Lord. 
turn to him, receive his gift of salvation by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, turn from living your way, turn to live God's way, confess your sin to God and receive his son Jesus. And you'd like to be your savior and Lord. Our pastors will be standing here in front, they would love to share God's truth with you. They'd love to introduce you to Jesus and help to help you become part of the family of God, receiving God's grace your faith in Christ Jesus. But for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, let me just encourage you to just focus in on the unity that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Man, one of the greatest ways to enjoy that unity is to pray with one another. You may want to get together with a brother or sister in Christ, a husband or wife, and just pray. The altar is open. You can come kneel and pray for one another. Pray that you would share that unity. Maybe there's a situation, a conflict, and a relationship that God's calling you to, to move forward and to work for unity in that relationship so there could be peace and hope and healing. You're able to do it with the help of Jesus Christ. God is speaking. Let's respond to him this morning. Let's stand and say yes to the Lord.